0: I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Look at somebody next to you and say surrender it. Would you not agree that surrender is exactly, positively what the person next to you needs to do? (laughs) And in reference to surrender, and when it comes to surrendering all, I have four quotes and a radical message to share with you this morning. Good morning, Saints Church. Good morning. Four quotes and a radical message that will stir you to give some stuff up and lay it at the altar of sacrifice and surrender sorrow so you could pick up some praise and walk out of here rejoicing. Wouldn't that be a good Sunday? Yeah. Here's the first quote. I got notes because this is hot off the press and I pray you take extensive notes so that you could live this word applicably and share it better than I ever thought I could. Quote number one, big ideas come from small beginnings. Angela Chrysler, president, CEO of Team National. Quote number B, you don't go to new heights, you grow to new heights. And you do that physically, mentally, spiritually, and relationally. Mike Satterfield, yours truly. (laughs) Quote number three, go to church because your mama says to. Visit grandpa every chance that you can. It won't be a waste of time. Always stay humble and kind. Hold the door, say please, say thank you. Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie. I know you got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. Don't take for granted the love that this life gives you. When you get where you're going, don't forget to turn back around. Help the next one in line. Always stay humble and kind. Country superstar, Tim McGraw. And the fourth quote, even a knight is first a squire. Paul Gibbs, founder and global director of Pays Movement, lead pastor of Saints Church Viridian. From those four quotes, I want to talk about a rarely experienced principle that is mandatory for life, not by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin, but life abundant. This is a radical message because this principle you may be asking, what is it, what is it, what is it? Glad you're asking because here's the principle. The principle of humbling and exalting. Write that down. Humbling and exalting. This is a rare principle because as you will well be able to agree In modern culture, everyone wants to be exalted and not humble. Most desire to be the head and not the tail. More seek to be on the pedestal and not abased. Yet to expound on Paul Gibbs' quote from the book entitled Kingdom Principles, the video footage of which you saw in this intro, there is something about a squire that I admire. And even a knight is first a squire. And I love that not just because it rhymed. I admire that squires of old possess relentless integrity and unwavering devotion that any leader would love to have on his or her team. They understood that everybody can't be chief and anything with two heads is a monster. Similarly, both queen bees and worker bees are needed to make honey. Not one or the other. You need them both. Here's an illustration of a lesson from the honeycomb. Worker bees are essentially the lifeblood of the hive. Without worker bees, there would be no one to take care of the ever-important queen, produce honey, or necessarily pollinate plants and flowers. And without humble squires, there would be no leading knights who chase after the heart of the king and who are models of servanthood for the kingdom people. So listen to scripture with me in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Here Peter appeals to the elders of the church, and he appeals to them so that they would possess squire-like integrity and devotion. 1 Peter, in the crispy section of your Bible, chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, says these words, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over them and those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in proper timing, you may be exalted. Listen to me. Jesus, the greatest servant of all, declared a surprising truth that I want you to hide in the innermost part of your chamber and heart. And that truth is that anyone who wants to be first must first be a slave. I don't like it. You ever argue with scripture? Anybody ever have scripture get under your nerve and work you over? I don't like the fact slavery and Mike Satterfield go together like oil and water. They don't go together like peanut butter, mustard, ketchup, and jelly on a sandwich. Exactly, that's nasty. Slavery and Mike Satterfield go together like chocolate cake and diet ice cream. (laughs) That's unfathomable and redunculous. But here in the word, Jesus gives us Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28. Look at it right quick. And helps me redeem the term of slavery. Thought it never happened because my people have been familiar with what slavery is. If you turn to Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 25 through 28. When you find it, say amen. All right, that was one of us. I'm going forward. (laughs) Everybody else catch up. (laughs) Verse 25 says, but Jesus called them to him, his disciples, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, saints, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, not be those who are among you who are lording over. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as a son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Jesus didn't just surrender a little bit. Jesus paid it all. He's our example of not just giving what was left over, not just giving pimento as well as That which is broccoli, he gave the very best. You know how we get in our cabinets and pull out the canned goods for the canned drive. We'll never eat. (laughs) It's not Jesus. He surrendered all. And when we find him in the pages of scripture, here is where I struggle as a present part of modern day society. I do not like even the mention of slavery. But when you see this word, here is what the godly principle of humbling and exalting gives us in four ways. Number one, write this down, the expectation. This is a true definition of squire, of servant, of slave. The expectation is a squire's role was to be shield or armor bearer of a knight, to be an errand runner or apprentice. He didn't just go straight to knighthood. He grew to be worthy of becoming a knight. The name squire, watch, later became synonymous with a village leader. The name squire, even later than that, became a public figure like members of parliament were called squires. Then here in America today, it's a title given to justices of the peace or local dignitaries. What's the main point? Here it is. By humbling yourself in due season, you will be exalted if you faint not. Expectation. And with expectation comes point number two, and that is the process. Say process. A squire would fast. A squire would make confession. A squire would pray to God all night long. Some of us hadn't prayed three minutes, but we got one who will pray for healing and had never been tried in that area. But if this is going to glorify God, Father, heal in the name of Jesus. And then a sister testifies as to how that has blessed her life. Let's do something right quick. Turn to your neighbor and just smile at him with all 32 teeth or how many you got. They might not have been smiled at all morning long, but you just did something (laughs) to advance the kingdom. And here a squire would pray all night long. And a squire was admirably a symbol of purity, evident in all that he did as well as what he wore. Check this out. He was dressed in white. He wore a gold tunic and put on a purple cloak. A squire would take the oath, vowing to obey the regulations of chivalry and to never flee from battle. Besides, in the armor of God, you don't have rear gear. So you ought not flee anyway. Back to the subject at hand. Only then would the squire be proven worthy to be knighted by his king or his lord. Hence, a special process must be taken and to shape the heart of a squire, like the call of the loss. We go seeking to save the lost so that they may bend the knee and gain salvation. The squire to be knighted must first bow the knee. What's the last time you bowed down? not Uh Not in this marriage, not on this job, not at that school. I ain't bowing down, I'm a man. And God says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. I'm a woman and I'm every woman and ain't nobody going to put me down and make me a doormat. And God says, really, I'm calling you to be subject to me so that when I exalt you, no weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. The expectation brings the process. And listen to this. Jesus explains this concept in a parable, instructing his listeners to take a humble position in a wedding feast. Okay, what is this all about? Luke 14.11. Watch this. You don't even have to turn there. But have you ever gone to a sporting event or to a theater or to a movie with assigned seating? And you bypassed your assigned seat and went to the preferred section because nobody was sitting there yet. And you sat yourself down and got comfortable in the best seat in the house until (laughs) the actual seat occupant showed up then you were asked to get up off your blessed assurance and get out of their seat. <laughs> How embarrassing. How huma- Have you ever been there? And they, oh, man, here they come. I hope they don't come to this. Oh, here they come. And you are asked, please get up out of my seat. What were you thinking? And Jesus addresses this. He says in Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Flip the script, you're sitting in your assigned seat as I have been on a plane back in the coach and the sound system, please buckle your seatbelt and put your tray table in the upright and lock position. And chocolate thunder, Mike Satterfield, come up to the front, you have been advanced to first class seating. In front of everybody, I just go on and strut to because that was not supposed to happen. The word says we refuse this principle so often because we consider bowing and humility as being weak and vulnerable. We've been there and many of us have a testimony to share. When I bent the knee, someone struck me on the head and took advantage of me. So I'm drawing a line in the sand and I ain't going to let it happen anymore. But God says, hold on. You ever beheld a bridal stallion? A horse of magnificence. To the eye, bridling looks like it is restraint, amen? But this is speed, agility, strength under control. Someone in the room needs to bridle some stuff. You got strength, agility, you got know-how and wisdom, But it's loose and flighty, and just your opinion is spilled all over Facebook, and nobody wants to hear what you got to say about the subject matter. If you're sitting next to somebody that needs to bridle their tongue, don't look at them. Blink at me right quick. Blink at me. (laughs) If they need to bridle that speech and their thoughts, let me move. In the context of our lesson, when you're a bridal stallion with a good master, You are, watch this, no longer wild and unruly. Plus, you no longer have to guess where your food, where your shelter, where your pasture or your comfort is going to come from. For a good horse trainer will meet the bridled stallion like the good shepherd meets his beloved sheep. He leads you beside the still waters. He restores your soul. He leads you on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, and we go through some dark times in America, you don't have to fear any evil, for he's with you. His rod, his staff comforts you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy. He anoints your head with oil till your cup runneth over. Surely, goodness, mercy follows you all the days of your life. You know what goodness and mercy are? The two watchdogs of heaven. Goodness. Mercy. They follow me all the days of my life. And one day I'm going to dwell in the house. You come up here if you want to. Goodness. Mercy. Get sick them. They follow me. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. For how long? And how long? And how long? That's an ever for the Father, ever for the Son, and ever for the Holy Spirit. You got the expectation, and then you got the process. The squire bends the knee and humbles himself. Third, you've got the command. With expectation comes the process, birth from the command. Be humble, preferring others to yourself. Be humble, exalting someone next to you above where you think they ought to be. Anyone ever know some folk married to people that don't deserve your respect? Not in here, but at other churches at this hour. Somebody's married to somebody that you cannot stand, and you're like, see, they're not worth me submitting to and being one who surrenders what I should. I know the scripture says, but you don't know who I'm dealing with. Okay. Well, here's in Newton's third law of motion, formally stated, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. There's cause that has Effect, action has consequence, and the command's consequence is that as you exercise humility, God will put positive spotlight on your life in order to demonstrate his goodness when you don't even feel like doing what his word declares. Yet, if you become proud, the effect is negative, the reaction unfavorable, and the consequence undesired. For the proud goes before fall, hardy spirit before destruction. The proud God will either remove from an exalted position like Old Testament King Saul. He killed a thousand. David came along from the pasture. Shepherding killed tens of thousands. Saul was enraged. And God said, sit down. <laughs> David is now king. In your pride, you will also be stopped from getting to the position of first place, like Old Testament Haman in Esther 3.1, who was raised to the highest position, then hung on his own gallows because he wanted to prove a point and built a hanging noose that became a design for his own destruction. Here's the expectation that comes from a process that is birthed from command that leads to number four, Freedom. I wish I would have wore a kilt. I, no. <laughs> Freedom comes in humbling yourself so that God would do the exalting. I've been there and I've tried to push my way ahead and forge a new road. And then I find myself climbing a ladder corporately and the ladder's leaning leading up against the wrong building. Isn't that right, Jeff? McLean is here. He would tell you there is business acumen. You get up a ladder, you think you've arrived and whoop, this the wrong building. I've tried to get successful, and now I have nothing to show for it. Freedom comes, and this is not just good news. This is Tony the Tiger. Great news. Folk from other parts of the world, y'all know Tony the Tiger? Yeah, y'all have heard the speeches before and the announcements, and you're like, what are they saying? <laughs> we got England, Germany, and everything in betwixt in between, up in her. But here's the point. Humbling and exalting is the freedom principle. I was housed in a teenage boy's room on a retreat, a disciple now I preached, and the room was full of musty aromatherapy. The teenage boy, come on, y'all not with me, they gave me his room. I'm living in a host home. Y'all still not tracking with me. It was full of axe body spray to cover up the musk. I complained under my breath all night long. And then scratching at the door of the room was their dog. I'm more irritated. Now the fungus is among us and the scratch at the door is irritating me. I went ahead and opened the door because I couldn't get the dog to go away. Laid back in the bed, already exhausted, didn't have the desire to fight, wrestle, called on the hosts who let me stay in the room. So the dog jumped up in my lap and slept in my lap till the morning light. I'm not a dull person for real. But I was exhausted, and aromatherapy had intoxicated me in the most negative way. So in the morning, I'm grumbling, complaining. I could have been in the Hyatt Hotel in my own room, my own freedoms. And then I asked the host family, Tell me the name of the dog. Here's what happened to me all night long. They apologized and they said, we're so sorry that Faber jumped in your lap. (laughs) The dog's name was Faber. I repented of my pride and my complaining because I immediately realized that God scratches and knocks at the door of our lives. And if any man lets him in, He won't just come in and sup with you. He will drop favor on your lap all night. God taught me that humility leads to freedom. When The spirit of the Lord comes in this place. He anoints us. The principle of humbling and exalting reveals that my problem with slavery was not the term itself, but the fact that I despise enslavement to the wrong master. Galatians 5.1 confirms the need for freedom in the principle of humbling and exalting because it records it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So do not return back to the yoke of slavery that you've trapped yourself in. We've made a choice to be enslaved to the wrong stuff. Anybody got an addiction that you tried to give up? can i use one anyone know some people who curse They use expletives or that? yeah good christian folk that if you stub your toe at midnight what comes out of your lips i mean you fresh from church hit the house big toe bed rail O oh, father of abraham isaac and jacob <laughs> i come to thee now hence wherein forth red letter king james edition no you stub your toe right out of the people the big Beep. challenged by this word because God shows us something in the principle of humbling and exalting don't be yoked to the wrong master whatever that is you've got it wouldn't cursing some of you speeding and you vowed I'm going to go the speed limit with these slow people in front of me that makes you cuss and speed let me get <laughs> help us jesus today Christ has truly set us free and made us not slaves to sin but slaves to righteousness and godly character to live as what we call cloud dwellers in the saints community in our hapherum and in our worship encounters and cloud dwellers are those who understand that we have a freedom that is the spirit behind the letter and the law that God gives us through his word we need instruction But we need instruction that allows us to follow the footsteps that God has ordained. He orders them with his word, a lamp to feet, a light to pathway. And in darkness, you need a light. And the light will show you how excellent is the path that leads to victory. When you've been on the wide road, dropping it like it's hot and shaking what your mama gave you, that leads to destruction. So I look at this and I see we must make sure that we stay free and don't get tied up to the yoke again in slavery to the law that is home base for those we call line dwellers. Let me show the difference real quick. Are we okay on time? Here we go. The difference between the two slaveries is that choosing to live on the line brings bondage and to choose to live above the line is to live in freedom. Line dwellers are enslaved and inhibited Right it by their questions. How can I avoid the limelight to avoid personal humiliation? How can I avoid anonymity so I can gain personal recognition? How can I get on the stage and preach at Saint's Church? This is not about being pedestal. How can I avoid the process in order to jump to the top, take a shortcut? The devil tried that with Jesus. I can give you all of this, Jesus. He's Jesus like, what? The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. It is written and all they who dwell therein, Satan, get thee behind me. You have nothing to offer me. And he never tells you the fine print, does he? Take a drink, and he doesn't tell you about the hangover. Bite into this chocolate cake. He doesn't tell you about Dunlap disease, where your belly dunlap over your belt. Cloud dwellers, however, are inspired, not enslaved. They are liberated, not inhibited, by his questions. And Here they are. Will you serve an imperfect leader, Joe, to become a perfect servant? Will you serve me, not people, to bring glory to me, Ryan, and not you? Will you demonstrate faithfulness, Becca, so I can show myself faithful? That's what cloud dwellers ask. And here's what we must understand. Line dwellers remain squires, always seeking to feel valued and affirmed and respected. And won't you like me? How's my outfit? Don't you want to say something about my hairdo? Respected by people whose opinions change like the wind. Cloud dwellers, on the other hand, become knights. They don't remain squires in the kingdom of God who know They are valued, who feel affirmed, and they have blessed assurance of their importance as children of the most high God. I'm a child of the king. You can't tell me any different. I know in whom I believe, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not the last. I am the first because he is and I can face tomorrow. And if God be for me, who could be against me? I am the redeemed and the redeemed of the Lord. Say so. He was wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement that brings me peace was upon him, and by his stripes I am healed forever. Here's the understanding. Line dwellers remain squires, but those who are cloud dwellers become knights. Any line dwellers here today who will admit they are more concerned with what people think of their ability than how God can use it, let that marinate and crop out. Let it simmer, sink in, I'll repeat it. Any line dwellers here today willing to admit you're not surrendered because you're concerned how people think you are, instead of what God can do, what He's put inside of you. When you are this way, you habitually use false humility, which hides behind true humility as spiritual camouflage. You say you're humble. But you're high. If you have to tell people, I'm humble. <laughs> look in the mirror one more time. Chances are your picture is not next to humility in the dictionary. You gain two mottos when you choose to cloud dwell as a knight who understands line dwelling regulation. You know humility is not humiliation when you choose to cloud dwell. Knights of the kingdom do not fight to gain status. They fight because they already have it. Let me phrase it another way. Christians don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. I read the end of the book. I cheated. We win. I'm already victorious. Isn't that a different kind of fight? If I don't know I'm going to win, leave me alone. But if I know I'm a winner, I'm coming to the battle. Not cocky, not arrogant, but confident that God is greater in me than he that's in the world. True victory comes through a relationship in humility as a squire with Christ, who raises us in exaltation as a knight in his kingdom. Look at John chapter 8. I'm almost home. In John 8, verse 30 through 36, and you'll find these principles in Paul Gibbs' book on kingdom principles. And I'm humbled and appreciative to be able to share and glean some of these insights. So we got to listen to this again on the podcast. And when we listen to it again, we can then let it sink in. Touch your neighbor and say, because we dumb sheep. Oh, y'all don't want to talk to each other? Y'all don't want to help me preach this morning? We. I said we are, not you are a dumb sheep. (laughs) You are, but I mean, we (laughs) together. Let me read the scripture. Stop slowing me down. Look at the scripture. Verse 30, chapter 8 of John. (laughs) Y'all are cray-cray. The word says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him, even the Pharisees. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the word of the living God. So keep in mind a staggering reality. There is still an unavoidable fight that daily exists once you even taste freedom. I thought once free, I don't have to struggle again. How many know that ain't the truth? Once you get into Viridian community and gain a household, that will be a house note. We've not yet arrived. (laughs) And do you not know they expect you to pay it every month? Taxes are due every... Okay there's still a fight. And you, number one, have two options. You have freedom from choice in the fight. Or number two, you have freedom of choice. From and of. From choice, of choice. The fight tests our suitability to be exalted. Yet one posture is closer to the heart of God than the other. Here's what I mean. In the old covenant, God shaped a community to display his glory and justice by giving them a freedom from choice. He set up rules and regulations, stipulations, and systems. Under the new covenant, however, God compels people forward, demonstrating his glory, his grace, by giving us freedom of choice. He lays out principles and parables, but he gives supervision by his Holy Spirit. Here lies the beauty of the principle of humbling and exalting. As Jesus walked through, and walked with and walked as example for his disciples, he told them that he no longer called them servants with freedom from choice because servants do not know the master's business. Instead, John 15, 15, he calls us friends. That is, with freedom of choice. In Christ, God moves us from squire servanthood to knight friendship and freedom. He gives us this through his son, the way, truth, and life. In so doing, we see more and more that freedom of choice is closer to the heart of God than freedom from choice. This is why. We see more and more that this freedom from choice is comfortable living, but it grows not that you would know who you are and what you're made of. It does not teach us about ourselves when you're free from choice. We are left with the proverbial question, do we use freedom to make a difference or to live comfortable lives? Do I want comfort or do I want Christ? Do I want to be exalted in him or do I want to raise myself up? You ever notice when you raise yourself up and people knock the pedestal down, that's a far fall. But when you are mounted on wings of an eagle to run and not be weary, when you're mounted to walk and not faint, when you're in the spirit of the living God and wrapped up, tied up and tangled up in his love and in him you live and move and have your being. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And beside him, there's no other. And he's a bridge over troubled waters. He's the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He gives you a way that you will not know how to make it through, except he gives you access And when God supplies, he doesn't supply the little, he gives you every need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah to the lamb. Behold him because he takes away the sins, plural, of the world in Christ. But when we have freedom from choice, we have to fulfill certain commandments, often without faith or the right motive. Freedom of choice, on the other hand, teaches us how much we truly value our friendship with Jesus. And one of the signs of humility is that we use our freedom for his purpose. In surrender to the king of kings, we always are led to ask, did I choose the thing that most advanced the kingdom? Did I choose what made me feel comfortable in my skin? Illustration. Freedom from choice means someone else organizes your day, organizes your agenda. You make other people's schedules your schedule. You work for someone that gives you permission to take a vacation. But when you have freedom of choice, it gives you the choice on how you spend your time, what you do to set your goals. The real question on the floor for all those who want to be exalted, not humbled, all those who want to be the head, not tail, all those who seek a pedestal, not a basement, is can you handle exalting without humility? That leads to my fifth and last quote, followed by a fifth and last point that redeems the term squire, servant, slave, and points out the need for humility in our lives so that we would have abundance. Here it is. The quote is, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Abe Lincoln. The expectation brings the process, Birth from the command, leads to freedom, and reveals fifth, the mechanism. Say mechanism. I got to hustle. The king, I assure you, is looking for knights but his mechanism for choosing them may be unfamiliar and undesirable to us. We serve another person's vision and then God raises us up so that others will serve ours. (laughs) Many of us might expect that age, experience, or qualifications automatically mean promotion. How many would beg to differ? You weren't qualified, but you were available. And God says, come on up, I'm going to make you rule over many. You knew you didn't pass the test, everybody else passed, but you had favor sitting on your lap. And God says, I'm going to use you in their presence. You ever been around some folk that can't sing? And the one who can is making the whole crowd sweat because they're waiting on them in the, to come out of the foyer. They're looking through the window. They're waiting on me because I'm going to just show my prowess and vocality. And as I mount to the hills where I have exalted myself, I will show them that I am operatically prowess. And then someone who can't sing a note, cannot sing their way out of a paper bag, but have the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. The conductor says, you come on up. They grab the mic. Everybody weeps because they've surrendered all. And the person waiting to showcase their talent will wait in the foyer until the whole crowd is blessed beyond measure. Many of us have to understand that God will raise up only those who have humbled themselves so that he will show what a true servant looks like. Greater men have given us this example. Moses served Jethro. And this was an example of God's redemption. Joshua served Moses. And this was an example of God's commitment in the face of world compromise. David served soil. Saul. Soil. Saul, In the process of humbling himself, David bent the knee even after being anointed as the future king. During the process, Saul threw a spear at David, and scripture records this purposefully. This was an ancient custom. If the master threw a spear, a dart at a servant, and weapon missed, the man would be released from service. This was manners and customs that brings this to our revelation. Yet David continued, willingly submitted, because he was a man with a heart after God's. A kingdom principle trumped David's personal right to be free. He could have left Saul, stop playing Saul, and got out of Dodge. But he chose to duck and say, I still will serve you. Touch not God's anointed and do his prophet no harm. I'm serving the risen savior. I'm about the kingdom's business and God will give me his blessing. What are you saying to us? The moral of the biblical principle of humbling and exalting is exemplified in scripture in such a way that it's a sobering reality that we cannot serve God without serving people. The difference between humbling and exalting when left in our hands is that one serves God the father, the other serves us. And Satan will tell you what happens when you choose the other. You have a destiny to H-E double hockey sticks. Almost said hell, but I didn't want to mess up the saint crowd. And you will meet H-E double hockey sticks with gasoline britches on. Almost said hell again, but I don't want y'all to be disturbed on your Sunday morning in your theology. Conclusion, I'm done. There are good and humble people everywhere. And if by chance you don't see any, be one. Bow your heads with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, ruin us until there's nothing left of us to get in your way. And someone here today in this service has exalted themselves to a place that is not becoming of a squire. So I ask that we get real, we get transparent, we get hungry, we get beyond what are people going to think, what are going to say. That I thought they thought I had it all together. And when people release from this worship, they will go to leadership of saints and say, "Pray with me." I saw the testimony of a woman healed, and I need healing in my house, in my mind, in my marriage, in my finance in my physical body, in my relationships with my children, in my business environment. I am destined to be in this neighborhood, and I want to be a part of a community that truly lives out the blessed promises that Scripture announced. Never going out and coming back empty-handed. God ruined us, so we won't botch that. And then you get the last word, edgewise. Continue to share this message long beyond our amen, and may others know we've been in worship because we got a case of the can't help it, and we've humbled ourselves that you would shine for it. In Jesus' name, I pray. And the church said, "I pray that favor jumps on your lap today, and you not grumble and complain because of it."